Welcome to the Death Note Podcast. We're going to take some time to cover some interesting murders that have happened in Washington County, as far back as the 1970s to present day, such as the Karate Killer, Hatchet Jack, and the Jamie Fenn case. Between the reports of the murders, we're going to take some time to discuss our thoughts on the cases. Disclaimer, these stories are not 100% accurate. They were shortened to focus on the important parts to make sure there was room for other stories. Warning, during this podcast, there are some very descriptive words of what is happening during these cases. We apologize if this podcast may cause you discomfort. Roland Steele, a.k.a. The Karate Killer. It was June 21st, 1985. Roland Steele chose his first three and only three victims, Lucille Horner, Sarah Kurtz, and Manny Werk, three elderly women, as his next victims. It was in the Millcroft Shopping Center. Steele was roaming the parking lot in a three-piece gray suit where he spotted Miss Horner. She was just leaving the shopping center to go meet up with Sarah and Manny. Steele spotted Miss Horner. He came over and pointed at Miss Horner's tire. Soon after that, there was a report of Miss Horner leaving the parking lot in her car with Roland Steele at the driver's seat. He shortly after that pulled up to Miss Warrick's driveway and picked up Sarah and Manny. Steele exited the car and opened the doors for the two elderly women and then got in the car himself and drove off. Around 4.15, Steele stopped at the service station, heading towards Cannesburg, claiming the car had stalled. Steele exited the car and paid a local visit to the station and met up with a group of kids and handed them a golden chain. That golden chain belonged to Miss Warrick. There was another incident shortly after that where Steele broke into a house. He stole various items from it, and upon leaving, he left a piece of cloth behind. That cloth was a piece of Manny's shirt. The next day, Cedra McDavis found the body of Lucille Horner. The next day, Cedra McDavis found the body of Lucille Horner. Later that day, found by a detective, was Sarah Kurtz and Manny Ware under a pile of tires. All this was happening roughly one mile away from where Steele lived. The autopsies were done by Dr. Abrethny. He stated the cause of death was done by trauma. All the victims had bruises and trauma received to their necks, chins, and upper bodies. Due to lack of particles and other fibers, it was concluded that the cause of death was by hand. Lucille's liver was shattered and had several broken bones. Sarah's voice box had been crushed and suffocated to death. She was also hit so hard, her heart shattered. All this was done by Steele. Steele was a martial artist and received a black belt when he was younger. After that, Steele was caught trying to do the same thing he did to the three elderly ladies to Sarah Hare. Sarah Hare spotted a pair of scissors in Steele's hands when he was claiming that somebody was messing with her car. Later that night, Steele was arrested due to Sarah's report to the police. As of 2009, he was sentenced to death by a lethal syringe, but the judge gave him a new sentence due to lack of evidence, and the evidence that was presented was questionable. Roland had even, while he was in prison, broke up fights and prevented suicides. Not only that, he had a track record in his past. He also had a track record in his past where he saved a little boy from getting hit by a train. All this helped Steele get a new sentence. 
So why do you think he's called the Karate Killer and not something else? Well, back at the time when he got the name Karate Killer, the Karate Kid movie came out, which had a bigger influence as of how he got that name, considering he left bruises, broke bones, shattered organs, and a bunch of other things. So do you think it was just him doing this, or do you think he had an accomplice? Yes and no. Like, the evidence is shown that there is bits and pieces of this whole entire story not in the report. But at the same time, there's plenty of evidence that Steele did do it, which leads to why his case got resentenced. Richard Sherman, better known as Hatch Jack. There once was a man who lived on hand drive at a beautiful estate with his father and mother, who was sadly dying of cancer. In his mother's last day, her sister moved in to help care for her. She was very nasty with Richard when not around his mother, calling him stupid, refusing to care for him in any way. His father just fed in to it and soon copied her attitude. Upon her death, his aunt stayed there with his father. One day, as Hatchajack returned from a day of work, he asked his aunt for a glass of orange juice. She responded sharply and said he was too old for her to wait on him, prompting her father his father to get involved. He told Hatchajack to pack his things and be ready to move in 30 days. Infuriated by his father's words, he went upstairs to fetch his 20-gauge shotgun. Hatchajack came back downstairs, chopped them both in the head, unloading the rest in his father, and dragging their bodies to the basement. There, he used a chainsaw, ironically enough, not with a hatchet, to brutally cut up their, their bodies into pieces. Hatchajack collected what was left of their dismembered bodies into 12 garbage bags and buried them in the orchard. Why do you think Hatchajack was called Hatchajack? I honestly don't know. It never said anything about why he was called Hatchajack. Besides, he cut off his aunt and dad with a chainsaw, not a hatchet. Do you think there was any other outside sources that fueled his hatred for his parents? Honestly, I don't know. Like, uh, other than... His aunt and dad making fun of him all the time. There was really no reason. I mean, he was 30 when he killed him, and uh, they told him to move out. I mean, sure, his mom died, but it was he was 30 living with his dad. Commercial. I would like to take a moment of the time of this podcast to discuss the purpose of it. The purpose of the podcast is to not cause discomfort, but to inform people of what is going on and what has happened. It is also put together to raise awareness, to report if someone you know or yourself are in danger. We would like to not have anybody go through the same situations as the people in these cases. The Jamie Feeding Case. Now this case is a bit different from the other cases we've just covered. In this one, we are covering the victim more than the murder. It all started on September 15, 2019. That day was the last day her family and friends saw. On September 18th to September 22nd, John borrows his wife's truck on a business trip to Vegas. After visiting his uncle and aunt's house in Bethel Park, on September 23rd, the two, John and Jamie, 
both reach it. It was on September 23rd. John and Jamie both made it to Vegas. Later on the 25th, John tells her that they are going out on a photo shoot in the desert. Along their way out there, John notices a sign post. The two exit the car. John proceeds to zip-tie Jamie to the sign post and cover her mouth with duct tape. John stood there as she watched Jamie slowly suffocate to death. In the report, it was said that John removed the tape after she died. After all this, he drove home. On October 5th, the sheriffs found Jamie tied to the post still. Once John gets home, he proceeds to text Jamie's family from her phone. On November 14th, John was taken in for questioning and lied about Jamie's whereabouts. On November 15th, John was taken in for questioning again. He confessed to the police and his wife later. And that's all the time we have for this week. Make sure you tune in next week as we cover Pittsburgh Urban Legends.